0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom with me, Father Yuri, and with Father Jeffrey Ready? Today, we're talking about the uh, liturgical participation during the Lamplighting Psalms. I think there's a lot going on during the lamp lighting Psalms, uh, so we'll try and uh, get, get everything uh, packed into this episode. Uh, maybe we'll pick up where we left off last week, Father Jeffrey, with the idea of actually lighting lamps. Uh, And we talked a bit about that idea of the lamp lighting psalms being the narrative part of the service where we are asked to sort of descend into that disorientation or to to look at maybe the the darker parts of our life or to contemplate that within the context of these psalms. But it's actually at that moment where we are physically lighting lamps, at least in theory. Um, I know some churches don't do that, but in theory, that's where you're actually beginning to light the lamps. Do you want to talk a bit about uh, the lighting of the lamps at that time?
1: Yeah, sure. So remember as well. I mean, if we're doing it all according to the Typicon, um as it were, we will have arranged vespers to begin uh, with just enough time that by the end of these lamp lighting psalms, the evening psalms, where in our next section we're going to talk about the the wonderful hymn si Glad gladsome light, where that's where the sun sets. Right. So you're going to start vespers. Let's say, you know, 20 minutes to sunset. So imagine then the world outside growing increasingly dark. Um, you know, you've arrived, it's you know late afternoon, early twilight. Um, but by by the time you've reached the lamplighting psalms, it's growing quite dark indeed, because of course the sun is going to set at exactly the moment we begin singing the the, the hymn to the light. And so you know, that itself is rather symbolic of this movement and descent into, um, you know, the, the struggle, the darkness, the, you know, all of that grind of, of life that, that we have. So it's at that moment that, you know, whoever it is will be tasked to go around, um, the church and light lights. Now, you know, traditionally, of course, there would have been no electric lighting. So, I mean, everything is a light that needs to be lit and and at the beginning of the service remember all that's called to be lit are the main icons on the iconostasis so if you have hanging you know lamps in front of the Alpha and Omega icon so-called the the icon of of the mother of God holding Christ's child and on the the icon of Christ as Pantocrator on the the right side of the iconostasis so those ones are on the 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 lamp above the holy doors and probably candles you know on the holy table but apart from that everything else is is not lit so there's potentially hundreds of lights to be lit because you know you would have had chandeliers the main chandelier itself might have had dozens and dozens of candles or oil lamps to to light oil lamps in front of all the icons in the church. All of the people who come and, and maybe you know take candles from the candle stand at the back and then go and light them in front of, uh, or, or go, go and place them rather, in front of different icons, places for to pray for the, the living, the departed, people's commemorations and so forth. Those would be placed without being lit at the beginning of the service upon entry. So all of those, as I say, potentially hundreds and hundreds of candles and oil lamps need to be lit. And so you could deploy nearly... You know, the entire congregation to do this and it would still take some time, right? Now, in practice where there's electric lighting and so forth, the, the, the number of lights will be consider- considerably diminished from, from that number. And maybe it will just be, you know, a few servers or a few people designated in the congregation to do it on behalf of everyone. But potentially it could involve an awful lot of different people, but the, so that that process starts you know as the sensing begins at the beginning of lord i call and will be completed by the time of the psalms being done with all the stikera sung in between and then and there's that great moment of the You know, the, the doxasticon, the hymn at the end of that whole process. And then if there's an entrance, um, that's, that's all happening with the, the hymn of, of the light that we'll talk about later. But that whole process could take several minutes, right? Of, of lighting every lamp in the church. And so that's accompanying exactly what we talked about last time. This, sort of inquiry into the darkness and shining light into the darkness. So we're kind of physically manifesting what should be happening internally within us.
0: Yeah, the, the ex- my experience of Vespers in the past, so um, I attended uh, St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in um, Winnipeg, and the practice there when it came to Vespers was functionally just to turn on the lights when you come into the church. And when the service is done, you turn off the lights. Mm-hmm. So so there really is no um, up and down or uh, lighting of the candles or or extinguishing of the light or anything like that at all through Vespers. Um, so that, that symbolism, I think, in that kind of context, which I think is probably a relatively normal mm-hmm. experience for people at Vespers, the whole symbolism of that light and darkness is lost um, within well, yeah. the service of Vespers.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's no surprise either. I mean, it's what we do, right? You enter a room, if you're going to use the room for a time, you, you make sure that it's well lit, right? And, you know, because you don't want to harm your eyesight, you don't want to walk into things. Um, you know, it's a kind of normal thing. We turn on light, we turn on heat, you know, we make a room comfortable and usable. And then, you know, because we're good stewards of The resources of the earth. We make sure that lights are turned off and heat uh, turned down when we're no longer there. So you know, all that makes sense, right? Um, And of course, it also makes sense that we're we're no longer even exposed to the kind of rigors and struggles of darkness. You know, the as a as an experience, uh, as an existential reality. You know, we rarely have darkness anymore you know we occasionally come across it if you're going to somebody's cottage you know and in you know deep in the in the woods sometime and and you turn off all the lights and suddenly you're you're confronted with a completely different world than the one you're used to because we just are so used now to to kind of controlling the environment that we're in we put light on and other comforts when we need them and we take them off when when we no longer need them and so we no longer experience the fear, the terrors of night and and, and so forth, which of course would have been the the normal experience for human beings up until a century um, ago. And uh, I think something of the power of this service of Vespers is lost on us in that way, you know, where several of the prayers of light that used to be prayed, you know, throughout the service now are kind of clumped together at the beginning, you know, refer to, you know, us being delivered from the the evils of darkness and and the terrors of night and that sort of thing and there'll be the the prayer later in vespers at the the bowing of heads which also you know kind of plays on on that theme but you know in a real sense most of us aren't afraid of the dark um, at least not since we were about six and we wondered about the monster under the bed or whatever it was um, but you know so we lose something definitely in terms of that easiness of electric lighting and and so forth and i and i don't i i I wonder whether we shouldn't maybe consider you know restoring something of that traditional practice filling our churches with with more um you know natural forms of light than the artificial ones you know and when we get to talking about Fossilaron, the gladsome light hymn and everything Hope we also talk about, you know, the, the connection between light and fire as well, you know, because now our lighting isn't fire, not in the same sense, maybe at a kind of, you know, uh, very atomic level of, you know, electrons and and so forth. But, um, you know, in terms of the actual visual symbolism of it, is it, it isn't that fire, which also has deep, you know, symbolic value in the scriptures as well. So, so the, so much of it that is lost if we, if we don't do that. But, you know, there are churches that, that do continue in this practice and who make, you know, a lot of, of, uh, you know, it becomes more of a liturgically participatory experience, I think, to have the kind of traditional lamps th- appointed throughout the the space and to, to light them in, in this way. And also, I mean, there'll be moments, if you're doing a full vigil where they're dimmed again, you know, only to be relit, you know? Um, and so it's, it's a lot of work, but I think well worth it.
0: Yeah. So one of the ways that we've been trying to bring back some of these traditions in, at St. Maria's here in Hamilton is that, you know, pre COVID restrictions time, uh, at the Lord I've called is when people would come forward and light their candles and put them in the, you know, put them in the sand or on the candle stand. Um, so so basically, in, in usually at Orthodox churches, a lot of people will do that at the start of a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of moved it to this moment in the service um, so that actually lighting the candle and doing that prayer is, is part of like the liturgical um, participation and the liturgical movement.
1: Yeah, I, I think that very much you know, represents the same kind of idea. You know, I, I I wouldn't want necessarily to train people away from the idea of, you know, coming into the church and venerating icons and putting candles up you know as, as they enter but um you know if you can in addition to that have the the, the lighting of those tapers at that time you know and not having lit them at the beginning obviously mm-hmm. uh, that that makes a lot of sense and it it, it adds that participatory you know element to yeah. to the thing and it it really is you know, I said, an outward manifestation of what should be going on, you know, internally as we listen still, you know, very attentively to the Psalms uh, and seeing them as full Psalms, not just as these kind of renegade individualized verses or whatever that, that kind of, you know, spread out the the hymns of the day. Um, and then also listening to those hymns, which are, you know, particularly on Saturday evening um, and on the eves of feast, just so important for, you know, our our instruction and for the kind of light, the character of light that we are shining within those dark places of ourselves.
0: Yeah. So one of the ways that we've adapted it because of COVID restrictions is that um, we actually get one or two of the kids to come forward just by themselves and they'll come and they'll light up all the candles at the front during the Lord I've called. So that's been a way of getting some involvement Mm -hmm. while, even though we can't get everybody up because everyone sort of has to stay somewhat put yeah, uh, of course. Uh, so th- one of the big things that happens during these psalms is actually a great sensing. So the the deacon or the presbyter is handed uh, the censer with some incense. It's smoking. And it seems that, I, I, like, I wonder what the connection is between verse 2 of Psalm 140 there. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Um I I wonder if just just like the psalms are put here because there's kind of references references to evening if we do a great sensing because there's references to uh to incense here.
1: Yeah, so I mean we have no way of knowing, you know, which of the chicken or the egg came first here. Um, you know, certainly there was there's a logic to suggesting okay, well, we'll use this psalm because it says evening. And by golly, doesn't it also talk about incense? So we'll do that as well. Um, or whether you know, it was a moment of incensing, you know, that, um, you know, well, let's find a psalm to accompany that. And, you know, this, you know, it it doesn't really matter what order that is. They certainly came in together and coalesced uh, around this. And it I always is interesting because... um and this is not long after, if you're doing a vigil, you know, you already did a great sensing, right? And, and there's, there's normally quite a, you know, logic to, um, you know, not overly. You know, sensing you know, church in quick quick succession, but uh, you know this won't be that long after the the opening great sensing of the church. Um, you know, at, at a vigil service, as things are kind of moving along relatively quickly because you haven't done full cathismata as we've said before. There's kind of the hymn hymn version of it, "Blessed is the Man" and, and, and so forth. Um, but there is a slightly different character to it. I mean, it's not you don't open the doors. It's not uh, a sensing accompanied by the the candle um you know, as it was at the beginning of, of the vigil and so forth. Um, so, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's a deacon serving, a deacon will do this on his own rather than, you know, accompanying the presbyter out and, and so forth. So there's a slightly more sober character to it, even though it is a great sensing, you know, of the church. So it's, it's a, it's great sensing where the, the side doors, the deacon's doors on the iconostasis are used rather than coming out through the center door. So if you look at the, across the full vigil, there's, there, there are great sensings of both kinds, right? So the the beginning of the service is a great sensing, you know, with the, all the lights on, with uh, with the light coming out anyway, and, and then the sensor and so forth. Um, and then you get this more sober one here. Then at uh, matins, you again have the Polyoleos great sensing, where or, or the Evlogitaria, the Blessed, um, art thou, o Lord, teach me thy statutes, where you know again candles and and incense and then you have the more sober one on the magnificat and then finally a great one on on the great doxology so it's funny how you know the the great sensing is not just the great sensing it can have you know a slightly different character to it and i suppose partly because this is a more introspective kind of moment of struggle of dissent and everything it does take on this slightly more um you know, kind of sober character, not being a holy doors open great sensing, as it were.
0: The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. The This is an important point, I think, to mention that if you're ever doing, like if you're doing reader's vespers at home or, or anything like that, um, this would likely be the moment where you would want to um, light the incense that you have. Um, yeah, I found that that's kind of a, a useful practice for me here, uh, lighting a candle and lighting incense um, if I'm just at home. Alone, I know at some monasteries, even women's monasteries, uh, say a Transfiguration Monastery in the states, um, one of the nuns has a little hand sensor that she mm-hmm. uses in this moment, and they actually turn on um, the light in the altar, mm-hmm. and they do. Um, she uh, walks around the space doing doing a sensing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and that makes sense about home practice as well. I mean, the as much as possible, you know, we want our. Experience of prayer and worship in the home to be an extension of what we do in church, right? So, uh, it's not really, it's not a kind of false mimicry, as it were, of, of the, the community worship to, to have even a hand sensor at home. They, you know, those are readily available from Orthodox bookshops and, and church goods stores or or whatever where you can pick up one of those. And, you know, if you've got an icon corner where, You've got some number of icons there, and you've lit your your oil lamp, or you possibly have a perpetual light burning. Um, then, by all means, light a hand sensor and and use that. And and you can even kind of um, emulate a, a little bit the you know the way that the sensing happens in church. And if you've main icons of of Christ and of the Theotokos, you know sense those first, and then move out and around the space. If you're joined with your family, everyone can be sensed as part of that process as well. So I mean, all that is good. It it connects what we do at home to what we are experiencing together as a whole community. Because of course, the whole movement here in these Psalms is from individual to community. And so we must never think that our devotional prayer life, our private prayers are somehow disconnected from the, the, the life of prayer of the church—they're in fact an extension of it. They, when we pray at home, we're simply extending the common prayer of the church into new areas.
0: Mm-hmm. So there is the sensing around the space. I, I think we talked a little bit about that imagery uh, early on in in our in our run here, Father Jeffrey. I think we talked a bit about the imagery of the deacon or the presbyter actually going fully around the space um and and maybe we could talk a bit about that a bit more about that right now it seems to me that the main purpose of that kind of on a practical level would be to actually get the incense into every part of the um the worship space
1: and Um, into every nose
0: um, yes into every (laughs) nose um, but then there's also like a, there's beautiful imagery when it comes to that, that cycle, right? And and you can even, uh, you can interpret it in, in a variety of ways, even, even in that sort of orientation, disorientation, reorientation kind of way, right? That, um, that we kind of live through this movement. Um, I know certain of the fathers of the church have interpreted that as, you know, maybe, um, Creation, fall, redemption, or the the process uh, working towards theosis and things like that. I'm wondering if you could speak a bit more about the actual uh, movement of the deacon or this uh, or the presbyter or or the uh, the, the the nun who is uh, required to do that. So, uh, what's the sort of meaning of that movement?
1: Well, in in the first instance, any you know movement from the the altar area from from the you know the, the sanctuary. If, out into the nave of the church and then a return is itself, you know, it's a physical form of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. You, you only have to go and read, um, you know, the, the works of uh, that are ascribed to Dionysius the Areopagite, you know, That, that was the very much the movement he describes, and even specifically talks about the sensing of the church by the deacon as a kind of, you know, move out and return, you know, that was the kind of fundamental move of, of kind of creation in, in a sense. Um, and of course, the, the incense itself symbolizes, you know, in, across many ancient cultures, including in Judaism, um, you know sacrifice and purification so uh in order to make that move of descent and then reascent it, it you have to go through purifying fire through through the, this kind of movement of sacrifice in order you know to be you know to achieve the kind of fulfillment the, the destination and uh so that that all these things come together right so you know the the experience of Linking ourselves to the the struggle and the descent of the psalmist in order to kind of follow the same path towards wholeness is an experience of purification. And so, you know, very often you you mentioned theosis, which is, of course, the third and final stage of the, the kind of three stages of the spiritual life. You have purification, illumination and theosis or glorification and of course that third stage is only available to us in glimpses at this point you know ultimately will be our experience when when christ is revealed in his glory revealed to be who he already is which is lord of the whole of the universe and all things will be subject to him at that point our glorification we will we will when christ appears in his glory we will be in in that glory you know as saint paul says so that that will be made permanent then. But for now, we're kind of constantly moving through purification and illumination. Those are the two initial stages of the spiritual life. And we those overlap. You know, it's not like, okay, we can identify the Christians who are being purified and those who are being illumined. No, it's a constant experience. and This ties in with what we were saying last time about the real life experience of the Christian. And it's one of purification and illumination. So these are the two symbols we bring together at this point in the service, right? The sensor, the incense is that symbol of purification and the lighting of the lamps is that symbol of illumination, um, you know, quite literally. So, you know, that's... The whole of the spiritual life encapsulated there. So no wonder we should be drawing our minds and our hearts to pay attention to the words that are being sung and chanted at this time because they, they really do represent every aspect of those, of that. spiritual move of purification and illumination and and the words of the whether they're hymns of the day celebrating different saints or martyrs or whether they are the great hymns of the resurrection that we hear on saturday evening uh, for the feast of the resurrection uh, every week they are all about purification and illumination of our
0: souls and bodies so what would be your advice to the regular churchgoer who is, you know, sitting or standing in their pew or in their spot, and maybe even especially during COVID times where you're really not allowed to sing along or move, and all this stuff is happening around you. How do you actually participate in that moment? Where should your mind go at that time?
1: Well, I mean, we're being asked to do several things at once. And I think, you know, most of us are are capable of a little bit of multitasking. Um, And so, so first of all, take note of those deep symbols, you know, notice What's happening to your nose and even your eyes, because, you know, the, the smoke of the incense as that circulates around and you you can still we talked before about, you know, turning and facing even if you're in a pew, you can turn and face uh, the deacon or, or presbyter as the censer is going around if you're in a church that is, you know, happily devoid of such furniture getting in the way then you can actually move you know with that that movement and at this point you're hopefully not only just moving around uh, the deacon or presbyter with the sensor but you're also you know moving around those people going writing and, and lighting lights as well and so that's the other symbol that you're going to take note of whether it's actually you know hundreds of lights that will take several minutes in this beautiful way of illuminating the space or whether it's just symbolically, you know, a dozen or so uh, lights that, that happen to be there. And, uh, you know, maybe even the the dimmer switch on the electric light is slowly being pushed up or, or whatever. Um, but you're taking note of that as well. But of course, You know, in another sense, your mind is entirely on the words of the Psalms and noticing the the movement that is being made in those Psalms from, you know, the depths of isolation and separation. And struggle into the community of faith and that ultimate expression of praise and then interspersed, you know, depending on the service with six, eight or 10, you know, hymns of the day and, and seeing how those play off against, you know, the Psalms in the same kind of movement of purification and and illumination and so forth. All climaxing, of course, in, in, as I say, after the glory, um, you've got the, you know, the most important hymn of, of, of that Vesper service being sung, something to do with the feast or the commemoration or, the, you know, the day of the week that will, you know, kind of bring all that focus together. And, and physically, there's something that, that, that the tipicon appoints that is very rarely done. Uh, because of course, um, they very rarely do you have the kind of antiphonal Choirs that are assumed by the typikon, but so you can imagine a choir on the right and on the left of the Kleros at the at the front, um, you know, singing back and forth with the psalms and and the the hymns of the day. What it, the typikon calls for is for those two choirs to come down and join themselves together in the middle of the church for the singing of the Doxasticon. So uh, there's this kind of physical. Um, Coming together, this coming into community, this joining together in a in a kind of very bonded way of the community of faith that that illustrates that at the end, and of course that will be accompanied also, you know, at great vespers and vigils by the entrance of the the censer. So the, the the doors on the iconostasis will open. The deacon and presbyter will come out with the censer and uh, following, you know, during the doxasticon, actually make, make a sensing of the iconostasis and the people and, you know, pray a prayer of entrance before we get to that, you know, further climactic moment of the, the Hymn of Light, the Fossil Aron. But just all of that movement, you know, in that sh- kind of, let's say, 10 minute uh, interval be- from the beginning of Lord, I have cried or I call to the Doxasticon, there's all these things happening. There's lots that you can focus on, but you know, all of it should pull together in one direction, bringing us from our isolated stories of struggle into a community experience. And that's you know highlighted, as I say, by this kind of movement of, of the entrance and of the, the choirs coming together, if, if that is indeed something you can do in your parish
0: you've just finished listening to another public episode of enacting the kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since enacting the kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.